mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Greetings, fellow tech seekers. Sean from Silicon Theory here, and this is Silicon Theory Radio. Today's episode is going to be a little bit of this and that, and this is the part where I apologize because normally I like to do that in the ST Weekly Show because it's a recap, but as you probably noticed, there was no ST Weekly Show. It hasn't been for a couple weeks. So the longest story short is that this weekend was actually supposed to be a long getaway weekend for my wife and I, and we were going to drop the children off at the auntie's house on our way to Santa Barbara. Well, turns out that whenever you as a parent decide to make plans to escape your children and have fun, those children decide to come down with an illness that requires not only two urgent care visits, but they also uh, give it to their siblings. So no ST Weekly, no uh, really content of any kind other than the fact uh, of one particular item of note that I'll get to later on in the show. But sorry about the weekly recap being gone, but hopefully this will uh, satiate your curiosity for all things Google, Apple, and everyone else. So speaking of Google, um, yeah, they uh, they got hit with a $5 billion fine. Uh, that's billion with a B. And that's a pretty big amount of money, even for a company that has as much of it as Google does. So what's the deal? It looks like that Google is basically, as has happened in the past, especially with the European Union community, uh, been hit with an antitrust lawsuit, uh, well, with an antitrust fine, more appropriately, by the European Union. And the EU is basically stating that Android employs several competitive or several anti-competitive practices with the distribution of their software. Uh, in a blog post from Google CEO Sundar Pichai, uh, he obviously vehemently disagrees with this position and kind of alluded to the fact that Android may not always be free as part of its open source distribution. Now, the crux of this is that pretty much anybody can use the AOSP and do with it whatever they want, but if you're going to use Google's platform, they pretty much uh, make you adopt the Google Play Services suite, which includes the Play Store and a host of other services from Google, things like Gmail, um, Google News, and actually I don't know if Google News is part of that suite now. PlayStand used to be, but since they converted it, Google News might be on its own. But suffice it to say that several of the Google suite of apps are preloaded and pre-installed whenever OEMs decide to use Android as their smartphone operating platform. Now, the distribution of AOSP is free, so if you are a hardware manufacturer, you can just go out, slap Android on your phone, and with a few minor tweaks and some kernel settings and other other software underpinnings, you can basically get a smartphone to run. That's pretty simple and pretty easy. and also saves a lot of in-house research and development. Now, not everyone wants to do this. Uh, there are some smartphone manufacturers that run <clears throat> different uh, skins on top of their operating system, but by and large, they're pretty much just Android underneath, and because of that, they have to have several different agreements. And one of those agreements is that they're going to use and install certain Google apps. Now, no one is forcing them to use those apps, and I think that's probably where the biggest disagreement between Google and the EU comes in. Google uh, stands by their position that just because they're pre-installed doesn't mean people have to use them, and these practices are not, in fact, anti-competitive. The European Union has indicated that just because they are installed is enough of an anti-competitive practice because the fact that they're there to begin with means that someone is more likely to use them rather than go out and go through the effort of installing something else on their phone, which 
Again, I don't know if I personally necessarily agree with, but that's the actual legal opinion that's being used to levy these fines against Google. So, of course, Google's going to appeal, and they're probably not going to pay a nickel for a very, very long time, even if they do. But, again, this is certainly a story that we're going to keep our eye on. Another story that we've had our eye on, and we've talked many, many, many times about, is the so-called Throttlegate scandal with Apple and the Core i9 Intel processor in their new 15-inch MacBook Pro hardware refresh. So, hey, I said refresh right the first time. That's pretty remarkable. The gist here is that some more information and more information is going to be coming out about this. I mean, obviously, it's a developing story, so we're trying to make sure that we give as much information as we can based on what we're seeing, but... Uh, the initial report came from a prominent YouTuber named David Lee, Dave Lee, who goes by D- Dave2D on YouTube. And another prominent YouTuber who happens to be a friend of David's is Jonathan Morrison, who is the TLD Today uh, YouTuber, who also very popular. Jonathan's opinion is that it is more a function of the test that is giving the impression of overall significant thermal throttling and decreased performance. Uh, The test that Dave2D used rather than an actual, let's say, more objective or broader in scope um, testing of the Core i9 in the MacBook Pro. Uh, I think the gist of this is that there are a number of different ways that you can look this, look at this, and there are a number of different moving parts in the story. So obviously things are going to change sometimes on a daily basis, but there are, you know, the Apple stands and then there are the Apple detractors who want to tear Apple down for every single thing. And the Apple stands are out there defending Apple to the death of them. So it sounds like that it is a combination of Intel's lack of ability to deliver on significantly lower power 10 nanometer system on chip or SOC processors to Apple in a timely fashion. And I listened to Rene Ritchie's uh, vector show where he talked to a chip designer and they talked a lot about how Intel has failed to deliver in a timely fashion for many, many years now their innovation in SOC development. So basically what they're doing is they're rehashing certain designs, adding more cores and doing all the things that they can to maximize the use of the architecture because they haven't been able to get through and land on the 10 nanometer barrier. The thermal chassis and the thermal distribution system or dispersion system that Apple's designed is basically, from what I've heard, designed around that 10 nanometer chip and the the heat pipes and the cooling systems and the fans and all of the other processes that are in place in that hardware to distribute heat evenly and get it away from the SOC is designed around a completely different chip. So when Apple makes the hardware and they say, hey, Intel, give us the chips, and Intel gives them a different chip, and they go, wait, what the hell is this? There's going to be some problems. And in addition to that, when you compare especially video editing software especially high-end video such as that which comes from red cinema cameras or some of the higher-end quality Canon products like the C100, C200 line, um, you're going to really tax a CPU and potentially a GPU to its limits. In addition to that, you have the video editing software that's being used. So the most common are Adobe Premiere and Final Cut Pro 10. So 
you're getting vastly different performance results when using both of these sets of software and again depending on the type of footage that you use when we shoot video for our channel we shoot in 4k but it is micro four thirds 4k and it's also encoded to mp3 format or sorry not mp3 uh, mp4 so that's a lot less information than say something like uh, a Scarlett W5K camera that's exporting that footage and then you're transcoding it into a bunch of different formats like H.264 or even if you're exporting it through Apple ProRes or any other kind of ProRes, you've got a lot of data there that doesn't exist in some of the types of video editing that we might do, for example. So this is why getting opinions from high-end YouTubers actually kind of makes a big difference because they're kind of immersed in this life uh, all the time, as it were. So they can probably give, uh, again, a point counterpoint uh, experience that's a little bit more uh, appropriate to what high-end prosumers and high-end pros might do. The last piece of this moving part, again, is, is that in a MacBook Pro let's just be honest, Final Cut Pro 10 is going to run much more fast, much faster and much more efficiently on Apple hardware than Adobe Premiere is. Adobe Premiere is not optimized for the MacBooks at all because it's not made by Apple. It's made by Adobe. It should be pretty clear because Adobe's in the name. But when you have something like Adobe Premiere that is so CPU and GPU intensive, especially when you're importing these huge video files with massive amounts of pixel data, you're going to push hardware to its limits. I think Jonathan mentioned in his video, and I'll link uh, Renee Ritchie's podcast and Jonathan's video in the show notes below if you want to check those out. But I think Jonathan mentions in his video that, you know, uh, Scarlet 5K footage will, will bring any laptop screaming to its knees. And so that's a, a good test. Like, that's a way to check performance. And there are vastly different results in the Final Cut Pro tests versus the Adobe Premiere tests versus several other laptops that were used for this test that also use the Hexacore i9. Side note, here's something weird that bugs me. People will say dual core, people will say quad core, and then people say six core. Like that doesn't make any sense. Duo, dual and duo and quad are references to the number, but they are not themselves the number. And there is a reference to the number in six. It's called hexa. Just like there's eight for octagon or octa-core. And we say octa-core processors all the time. Why is it that only with six do we say six core? Nobody says hexa-core. It's weird. Anyways, so when you get around to it, if you look at a wide variety of hardware and you look at a wide variety of software and you look at a wide variety of projects specifically for video that are being used to edit, transcode, and export this footage. There are two sides to this equation. Is Apple throttling the performance of the hardware? Yes, they are. That's not in question. And it's for thermal reasons. And yes, maybe it doesn't even reach the base clock speed that those CPUs are designed to be rated at. Does every other computer do it too in some form or fashion with respect to the Hexacore i9? It sounds like yes, they do. And it sounds like the vast majority of the problem lies on Intel's side with not being able to provide their 10, man, 10 nanometer process chips, but also that these Core i9s are being used in ways that they, or maybe in ways in form factors is more of an accurate way to say it, that they were ever really designed to do. So. 
lots of moving parts. Sorry that was so long-winded, but the end result is is that, again, developing story. We're going to keep our eyes on it. And make sure you check out the show notes for some more information. A couple of last things I wanted to comment on, and that is... Uh, one of my favorite, well, probably my favorite bag designer so far over the last five years is Peak Design. And there's an article up at SiliconTheory.com today talking about their new project, which is funded by Kickstarter, that you can get a hold of if you're interested. They're producing a line of travel bags that come with modular systems. So their current everyday slings, totes, and backpacks are designed with flexible dividers to be able to allow the interior of the bag to be configured in such a way that it meets your needs, whether you're a photographer, videographer, or just a general traveler or a guy going to a day at the gym. The new travel series is designed to work with accessory pouches and bags that will allow you to travel in a much more efficient and a much more organized way using things like their wash pouch, tech pouch, as well as packing cubes, camera cubes, and they even come with, or they even have for sale, a shoe cube with a rain fly. So you can basically waterproof, weatherproof your bag and carry all of your traveling items with you in the manner that suits you best. So if you're interested or if you've seen my review of the Peak Design Everyday Backpack, which I love, it's my everyday carry, my camera equipment, and all of my daily uh, kit goes with me wherever I go in that bag. Um, if you're interested in any of those, make sure you head on over to the website and check that out. I have links to Peak's website as also a direct link to the Kickstarter page. If you want to get in on the ground floor, there's a significant discount on the initial bag buying if you do. Also, I have had an opportunity to spend a little bit of time now with the OnePlus, OnePlus Bullets wireless headphones, and I have a few thoughts. I'm going to be doing a full review of them very soon, but initially, as a preview, they sound pretty good. I don't know if I'm in love with the design, and honestly, I might, if I could, end up returning them simply because that design bothers me so much, but the NeckBuds cables are not an inconvenience, but they're certainly in the way. And I don't know if that makes any sense, but what I mean by that is just that they're noticeable. The volume controls kind of stick out, which causes the cables to angle really weird. And I don't know if they would be, as I haven't had an opportunity to take them on a run yet, but I don't know if that would be the most comfortable configuration for somebody who's primarily using them for workouts. Now, in terms of sound quality, they are good. I've really liked them. They're tuned slightly towards the bass end, but they are fairly clear. You do get decent highs, decent mids, and my variety of music tastes runs all the way from Adele to Zane. So A to Z. Hopefully you saw what I did there. But in a vast variety of genres, the OnePlus Bullets Wireless have generated a, a quality sound that I certainly wouldn't have appreciated at $150 or $120, but that I definitely appreciate at $70. So be on the lookout for a full review of that coming soon, either to the site or our channel. I haven't decided if there's enough there for me to do a video review, but if there is, I'll do it. If not, I'll write it up and put it up at SiliconTheory.com. That's the uh, long show for today. Sorry about that. But hopefully you stayed till the end and enjoyed it. If you do, make sure you favorite or subscribe wherever you're hearing this podcast. If you're on Anchor, make sure you hit us with some applause if you enjoyed the show. We really appreciate that. And that helps us be featured like we are right now as a creator on the rise for Anchor and that specific platform. And we appreciate them. As always, you can find all of our content at SiliconTheory.com. Follow us on social. We are at Silicon Theory on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And again, you can check out our YouTube channel and all the video content there using the link in the bio or at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Silicon Theory. 
Make sure you sub while you're there. We appreciate that too. Thanks again for listening, and remember, as always, we will talk tech soon.